Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. This next verse is such a brilliant verse that I'm going to even take two sessions just to do one verse. It's a fundamental question. How do we find the light of life? How do we make sure that we are not in darkness? And there's so much in this passage that we're going to look at over two weeks. Last time was a brilliant passage again where we looked at the wonderful way in which Jesus engages with someone. And it made, us, made me feel, this is why I love Jesus. And that kind of feel follows into these next two studies. This is why I love Jesus. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. This is John 8 and verse 12. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that fantastic? We want the light of life. We want that to be how we live, no longer in darkness. So there are two central themes to this passage. The first is light. And this is both of these central themes are themes throughout John's gospel, which we touch on on various other studies before and in ones to come. Jesus is the light of the world. He brings light into darkness. And we're going to explore again what that means uh, a little bit later. And he talks about following. Whoever follows me. And again, we want to unpack what that means. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I want to suggest two things, one of which I will look at this session and one I'll look at in a fortnight's, and, and sorry, in a week's time. So what is following Jesus and how will this give us light? That's what we're going to look at through our next two sessions. Our first one is about following his instructions, and that's part one. How does following the instructions Jesus has given, how does that bring us light? And in our second session, in a week's time, how does following his example bring us light? In order to work out what the light of life is and how following him brings light, we begin by just reminding ourselves of this metaphor of light. And to do that, we have to start with darkness. And darkness is a theme that perhaps we understand intuitively. We sense what darkness is, but it's worth just spelling out what the Bible means by darkness. It is fundamentally the metaphor for the absence of God. God is not in the darkness. He is light. So wherever God is, darkness is pushed back and dispelled. So the principal understanding of darkness is the absence of God. Therefore, it is uh, the presence of evil. And because it's the presence of evil, it's associated with fear. Darkness is the place where there is the danger of harm. And therefore, we're often afraid. Those who live in darkness experience fear. Equally, to live in darkness is to be in confusion. We can't see the way. And we understand these things as we are perhaps in a, uh, walking through the night, walking home from somewhere, uh, being in darkness. We, we have that sense of fear. We have that sense of confusion. We do not know the way forward. 
And then building on those two ideas and this sense of the absence of God, the, the fourth aspect of darkness is of despair. And so darkness becomes a way of, of expressing despair, of there being no hope. We can't see a future. We can't see a way out. And we are in the presence of evil. Whereas light is the glorious dispelling of those things. And therefore, it is the presence of God that brings, instead of the presence of evil, it brings deliverance. Light is being set free from evil. Instead of fear, there is peace and a sense of uh, being safe in the presence of God. And the troubles and anxieties and fears are not impacting us. Instead of confusion, there is guidance. When we're in the light, we are led. We're shown the way. So when Jesus is the light of the world, he delivers, he brings peace, but he also shows us the way to live life. And therefore, instead of despair, there is hope. So in this first part, we're going to look at the seven instructions that I've chosen that are, are that if we follow these instructions, we will have the light of life. These are things that I've talked about before. And what does it mean to be a disciple? I talked about this in a recent live stream on our Renewal Sunday. And I've talked about these things in previous Renewal Sundays. The seven instructions of Jesus. If we're going to follow him to be in light, if the light of life comes to those who follow Jesus, what does that actually look like? Well, it means following, in the first instance, seven instructions. Now, you might come up with eight or nine. That's absolutely fine. But I've just chosen seven instructions that if we follow these, if we keep these, if we obey these, we will have light. We will be guided. We will be, uh, live at peace and we will know the presence of God. What's the first instruction? The first instruction that Jesus brings to the people who are listening to him, and the first instruction that he brings into our lives is to repent. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What are we talking about? We're talking about self-awareness. We're talking about looking at ourselves and recognizing truthfully where it is that our lives are not as God intends. To be in darkness is to be deluded about what we're doing. Whereas repentance is having the humility to admit, you know what, I'm doing this wrong. I've not got this right. There are elements, attitudes, behaviors in my life that are not what God has intended or desired or purposed or planned for me. And repentance is having the courage to want to change, to say, I don't want to be this anymore. I want to be different. And Jesus' first instruction is to look at oneself and say, where is it that I'm not following through on what God intended and purposed for me when he gave me life, when he brought me into being, when he set me in relationship with himself and other people? And to recognize that, to say to God, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to live differently. 
And when we do that, that opens the door to God's presence in our lives, that he can come in and be in relationship with us. And the, the point is that he can't actually get close to us when we don't see that we're doing things wrong, when we live in a pride and an arrogance that we're perfect and that we're living our life correctly. But that actually, when we allow God's presence to come in, that opens the door and brings about deliverance from evil and peace and guidance and hope. So our first question for reflection is, what is stopping us wanting to repent? What is it that drives us away from admitting to God that we're imperfect? And how has this delusion brought darkness into our lives. If we want the light of life, we are to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means to keep his instruction. His first instruction is look at oneself and repent. The second instruction is to love like Jesus. John 15 and verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, there are three elements to this, and we'll look at one of them a bit more in a moment or two, but there, it is to love our fellow disciples. It is to love anyone we meet. That's what we call our neighbor, anyone who we are in contact with, we work with, we live near, we encounter, we bump into our friends, our family, uh, our community, the strangers that we engage with. And the third element is to love our enemies. Now, we're going to come back to these in a few moments with some of the other instructions, but let's just spell out what it means to love like Jesus. It means to be slow to anger. It means to be compassionate. It means to be faithful. And to love like Jesus is a decision, not a feeling. It's an act of the will that says, this is how I'm going to behave towards people. I want to do the best for them. I want to care for them. I want to nurture them. I want to strengthen them. I want to build them up. And therefore, it's actions, not simply words. It's not a gooey feeling. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we don't feel like being loving. Sometimes we don't feel like behaving like Jesus towards others. But when we choose to say, you know what, the most important thing I can do with my life is to love my neighbor as myself, we discover that it gives purpose to the day. It gives purpose to our lives. And it provides self-satisfaction. It is more satisfying to seek to build and bless and encourage and provide for and nurture and care other, for other people. It's far more satisfying than a tiny-minded, self-centered life. And it takes away fear because we're no longer fearful of rejection or conflict or difficulty. And it opens the door to the presence of God. That God can sweep in and be a part of those lives that are given over and committed to loving others. And as we do that, we experience the dispelling of darkness and deliverance, peace, and guidance, and hope. So our second question is, where is there unlove in our lives? Now, I'm rattling through these things, and you may want to pause the podcast or pause the video and write down your answers and reflections on these questions. 
But for the sake of this video and this podcast, I'm going to crack on to instruction number three, which is one of the things that Jesus says a number of times. Do not judge. Do not judge and you will not be judged. One of those references is Luke 7, 37. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So what do we mean by do not judging? It means we uh, stop interpreting people's intentions. We stop deciding that we know why people have done something and what they were intending to do and deciding a, a, a wrong or a helpful or a different motive. It's that we stop saying, I understand that person and I know why they're doing what they do. It's that we no longer box people in, giving them no room for change. To judge someone is to say that I know what they like, I know what they're going to do, I know why they do it, and I, I do not give them any opportunity, expectation, or hope of change. And in, in this judgmentalism, we adopt a superiority. We are better than them because we know why they've done it. And all of this alienates us from God because he's told us not to judge. And so it separates us from God. It places us in that uh, place of darkness. And it separates us from the people we judge. And it causes us anger because we're so angry with these people who've got the wrong reasons and the wrong intentions and who do the wrong things. And we damage them because we very often have got it wrong. And it returns to harm us because we are judged by the same standards that we judge others. And those of us who are judgmental find ourselves being judged by others. And so when Jesus says, do not judge, it is a decision and an action on our behalf to choose not to speculate. To choose not to go beyond what has been told to us by the person concerned. It is a decision to choose not to accuse. It is a decision to choose not to label. It is a decision to stop making decisions about people. And I need to tell you that it's something that I've uh, tried to practice a lot over the last few years, and it's liberating. I don't have to decide why people did things. I don't have to decide whether they're guilty or innocent. I don't have to decide whether they're pure or impure. And it's glorious. And so choosing not to judge is bringing light into our lives. And when we've got an opinion on everybody else, we're in darkness. Whereas when we obey the instruction of Jesus and choose not to judge, it opens the door to the presence of God. And what does that do? It casts out the darkness and it helps us to live in the light. It brings peace. It brings hope. It brings freedom. So our question for reflection is who are we prone to judge? Who is it that we have decided their intention or their motive or we're accusing them and we don't believe they can change? 
Instruction number four is linked into this and it follows on and it is to be merciful. Luke 6, 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. There can be no confusion as to the clarity and, and intention of what Jesus wants. He says, be merciful. To follow Jesus is to be merciful. There's no way around it. You can't say, you know, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and not be merciful. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to punish and blame and criticize and condemn other people. It is impossible. If we think we can be unmerciful and, un, uh, and judgmental, we will live in darkness. And there are many sections of our community who would call themselves religious. They're living in darkness because they have become judgmental and unmerciful. So what does it mean to be merciful? It means to not treat people as they deserve. It means to not try to punish people. It means to use kind words and gracious actions to be generous and to serve others. Now, this is all ways of unpacking that second instruction to love. And I said at the beginning, this is wonderful stuff. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to follow him because I believe in the power of mercy. I have seen it in my life and I believe it changes people far more than punishment and condemnation. It ends conflict. That's what Martin Luther King proved. And so it makes a far better society when we choose to be merciful. But it also has a personal impact on our lives because it helps us to understand and accept and believe in God's mercy for us. You see, when we judge and are critical and unmerciful of others, we project that that's how God sees us. So we live in a, a state of feeling that God doesn't really love or forgive us. But when we choose to be merciful for, to others, we discover how it is that God treats us. And that opens the door to the presence of God. And guess what? When we open the door to the presence of God in our lives, the darkness is dispelled and we are delivered and at peace and, and have the opportunity to be guided and have hope. So our question for reflection is who needs mercy? Who is it that we live with that we need to be merciful to? To stop speaking harshly, to stop making them feel bad, to stop punishing them, to stop excluding them, to stop making them aware of how bad they are, but to bring the grace and love of Jesus in. Instruction number five is even more hard. <laughs> Instruction number five that Jesus gives is to give. A number of times he says to individuals, you need to give to the poor. And to follow Jesus means to be a person of generosity. It means to renounce our dependence on stuff and be willing to have less in others in order that others have something more than they have now. It is not to build up our barns and to have our treasure on heaven. It is to renounce our sense of needing and wanting to have more than other people. We call that greed. 
but it's wanting to have others, uh, having others to have the same that we have. And if we are to follow Jesus, we will give because we will have a compassion for the need of others. And we will trust God that he will provide for us what we need. And we join in with God in blessing and liberating others from poverty. And that's a glorious thing to do, to be in partnership with God, to be a part of his instrument that blesses and alleviates suffering for others. And when we're involved and cooperating with the Spirit of God that is seeking to bless and be good news to the poor, guess what? It opens the door to the presence of God. And when we open the door to the presence of God, darkness is dispelled from our life and we walk in the light of life. So where do we have more than we need? And who needs our giving around us? Who can we give to out of our own resources? Instruction number six, we're flying through them. If you want to pause and reflect on these things, feel free to do that. Picks up this phrase of loving uh, one another. The sixth instruction is to be one with other disciples. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He looks them in the eye and he says, the way you treat each other is the mark of following me. To follow Jesus is to uh, obey his instruction to put unity ahead of expecting others to conform with us. It's not wanting everybody to agree with us, not forcing everyone to agree with us and rejecting and isolating and ridiculing and criticizing those who don't agree. Rather, it's valuing diversity, valuing Christians who see things differently to us, who have different perspectives, who have different emphases, who have different experiences, and accepting the difference between us, that we're all different parts of a body, that we're all shaped in different ways, and some of us like music this way, and some of us like music that way. Some of us like prayers this way, and some of us like prayers that way. Some of us emphasize this aspect of Christian faith, some of us emphasize that aspect. And that in humility, we choose to learn from those who are different from us. And we choose to be people who do not criticize elements of Christianity that we don't understand or go along with. But we choose to be one with other disciples. That's a decision of following Jesus. That we choose to work with and value different kinds of Christianity, different elements of Christians. Whether that's at work, whether that's in the community, whether that's online. And as we bring unity and work together with other Christians, people who we have a different point of view to, we open the door to the presence of God and we allow his light to come in. And as we allow his light to come in, he dispels the darkness of life. And we walk in his light. This picture of walking in his light is beautiful, isn't it? This is idea of being uh, safe and secure and stable in the light of God. So where do we need to be more accepting and understanding of other Christians? The last and final instruction 
that Jesus gives to the disciples that I want to refer to. You could add a few more, but for the sake of uh, neatness, I've gone for seven. The last and final one is to be fruitful. In other words, to reproduce the faith that we have in others. He says, I chose you and appointed you so that you may bu- might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What does this mean? It means to have an intention and a desire that our lives are given over to replicating our, f- our faith, our understanding, our relationship with God in other people. That we intentionally want others to know Jesus as we do, to have what we have in life. So how on earth do we do that? Firstly, it means that our prayers are filled with this desire that our lives may bear fruit, that we may look back at the end of our life and say, my life created this in somebody else, and I, with this person in heaven, because I was able to impact them for Jesus. I prayed for them. We can do nothing without prayer. It's not about manipulation. It's not about bullying. It's not about arguing with people. It's simply about praying, Lord, make my life reproduce. And then being gently honest about our faith and not denying or hiding that we love Jesus, that we value these instructions, that we're living in a, as a disciple, a follower, and a, someone who obeys Jesus. And being fruitful is simply Firstly, praying every day, Lord, fill me with your spirit that your fruit may shine out of me. That, uh, as John puts it, that we might be connected to the vine that we could bear fruit. You can only bear fruit if you're connected to the source of that fruit. Jesus produces the fruit in us when we say, Lord, that's what I'm open to and up for and I pray. And we're gently honest. We don't hide our light under a bush. We don't pretend that we don't believe what we believe. It's not about going out and loudly proclaiming it. It's just simply about being honest. And then when the time comes, saying, come and see what I found. Come and watch what I'm watching. And so we seek to be fruitful and reproduce faith. And this brings meaning. It brings meaning to why we're alive. I'm here to impact the world for Jesus. I'm here to push back the darkness. I'm here to make disciples. I'm here that in heaven there will be people who are there because I played a part. And that brings deep joy. I don't think there's any greater joy than sharing in the baptism of someone we've prayed for, someone we've uh, been an influence on. And as we do that, we open ourselves to the presence of God and the darkness is dispelled. So our final question is how much is fruitfulness our prayer and intention? Are we really living for Jesus? Because when we do that, we will walk in light, free from fears and confusion and despair and evil. But when we live for ourselves without an intention to be fruitful, we find ourselves in darkness and we find what's going on? Where are you, God? What's this all about? I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me that's uh, here on the screen, that something that we often use in, in a time of commitment and renewal Sunday or something like that. Perhaps you want to join with me in saying these words with me or if you're listening on the podcast, repeating them after me. God, our Father, 
in the name of Christ and in the power of the Spirit, we renew our commitment to you to live, work, and pray as one body in Christ, to love as Christ loves, to act as Christ acts, and to speak as Christ speaks. And we will seek to do what you have called us to do at work in our families and in our community, offering ourselves as living sacrifices for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Jesus says, whoever follows me will no longer be in darkness, but will have the light of life. To follow Jesus is to be repentant. What stops us wanting to repent? It means to love. So where is there unlove in our lives? If we want to be in the light, we need to recognize where we're living in the darkness of unlove. And where are we prone to judge? And who needs our mercy? And where do we have more than we need that we can share? And where do we need to be more accepting and understanding of other Christians? And how much is fruitfulness our prayer and intention? Let us follow Jesus because it is the only way to be free from the darkness. And the instructions he gives bring life let's follow him amen